Hello, everybody. I hope you all can hear me okay. Um, welcome to our space. As people start trickling in, uh, I hope you don't mind. This is going to be recorded. And uh, if you have a problem with that, just close your screen and uh, let us know in the chat. Uh, and if you wanted to mute yourself now, it might be a good thing so that we don't have any distractions. Yes. Okay, so welcome everyone. On behalf of our spring 2022 colloquium, we are doing this with the American Studies Department, Ethnic Studies, and of course, Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies Department. And this time we're uniquely combined with our club GEM, which I am uh, chairing. GEM is a club under the Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies Department. Uh, and I would like if, Rihanna is here. Are you here today? I'd love for her, hi Rihanna, um, to just kick it off before I introduce my distinguished guest today to kick off the event. I wanted her to kind of share a little bit about what our club's uh, mission is and to also give voice to the sponsors who are also part of this event. And that includes Ma'i Movement, of course, and I know Nikki will be able to share a little bit more on that, but the other two sponsors are clubs on behalf of UH, and we'd also like to give visibility to them and their uh, support for our conversations today. So uh, Rihanna, um, go ahead, take it away. Hi guys, I'm Rihanna. I'm currently the student head of GEM. Um, GEM is, or it stands for Gender Equality Movement. And like Crystal mentioned, we are a club underneath the UH Women's Department. <clears throat> Our mission is to offer an inclusive environment to share experiences on gender and sexuality issues and to dismantle inequalities on a local and global scale. We started the club last semester and have been growing slowly every, ever since. Um, recently, we've been focusing on period inequalities like period poverty, and we partnered with the My Movement Hawaii last November to create 125 care kits that we distributed amongst local high schools. Um, that was very successful. So we are currently doing another period supply drive um, that's going into the end of the month. There are don donation boxes at Hamilton Library, Kennedy Theater, the Ocean Science Building, and the Dance Studio. So if you have the time to donate menstrual products, you can do it at any of those locations. Um, we hope to do more events in the future and we are always looking for new members. So if you would like to join our cause, um, I created a Google form that I will submit into the chat and you guys can just fill that out if you're interested in joining. Um, and lastly, if you want any other updates or wanna look into GEM further, you can follow us on our Instagram at um, GEM Hawaii. Thank you. Right. Thank you, Yana. Yeah, so we had some great experiences uh, putting together. We had a couple of um, you know, gatherings to put together these uh, kits that we have so far uh, distributed to three public high schools. In fact, uh, one of them I represent is also our guest panelist today. And so very happy to reach beyond our university borders to bring in community and bring into high schools and, um, and further. So thank you. All right, so shall we begin? First of all, I wanna welcome you to this virtual red tent. 
I feel like I want to treat it like this. We should be in a beautiful room outdoors. I'm not forget room. We should be outdoors in nature. And we're all here together to celebrate, to discuss, and to dismantle uh, these kind of like stigmas and taboos and, and these shaming kind of conversations and narratives around a menstruation. So uh, I hope this is a safe space for all of us to share. I encourage you to use a chat as we go through the different topics of discussion. Feel free to share your experience. We'll, you know, we are in this together and um, this is a really kind of a special place for us to be able to talk about this. So appreciate that. So in our red tent, we have a very distinguished guest I'm very happy to introduce. So let me do that first. So I'm so excited to have author winning, award-winning journalist, novelist, essayist, author of five guidebooks to contemporary Jewish life, Anita Diamond. The name Anita, I can't tell you how much the Red Tent has influenced me in my upbringing and my word. It's one of my favorite books all over. So yes, The Red Tent was published in 1997, inspired by a few lines from Genesis. The novel tells the story of an obscure and overlooked character named Dinah, the only daughter of Jacob and Leah. Her most recent book, Period, End of Sentence, which we're actually going to be discussing today, a new chapter in the fight for menstrual justice, is a timely collection of essays to help inspire period positive activism around the globe. And so we'll hear much more about that with Anita. Thank you and welcome. Next, we have Nikki Ann Yi, as you see as the logo says, the co-founder of the Ma'i movement in Hawaii, officially launched in October 11th, 2020 by sisters Brandy Lee and Nikki Ann and Jamie Lee Kapana. This was kind of born out of, you know, three women born and raised in Hawaii of native Hawaiian descent who created this local grassroots organization dedicated to ending period poverty in Hawaii, one pad at a time. And it's brilliant. And I think Nikki is going to have a lot of uh, policy making information for us later. I hope that we are really breaking grounds and really making a difference uh, in fighting this menstrual injustice. Last but not least, I have a student activist from Campbell High School who is also working with my e movement to create awareness of period poverty on the high school level. Very happy to have you join our conversation, Raya. Thank you. So thank you to all three of you. Uh, so to kick it off, uh, I will be playing a short clip in a bit, but I wanted to just uh, have you all perhaps share a little bit about your relationship with menstruation. Um, what informed you? You know, what what? How did you come to embrace or repel uh, the menstruation in your life? Just give a little example of what the relationship you have with period is. Who wants to start? Well, I'll start, I guess. Hi, it's thank you for inviting me. I've, I'm kind of thrilled to be talking to Hawaii. <laughs> I'm in the Boston area, so it's starting to be evening here. I know it's the middle wow. of the day there. Thrilled to have you. Um, <laughs> um, I'm um, long past menopause, so it's been a long time since I had to deal with menstruation. Um, it's a topic I've written about a little bit even before this book, because I think, because um, a lot of what I've written is about women's lives and telling untold stories. And I had written a couple of uh, articles about menstrual injustice uh, globally and also locally in, in my own hometown where, uh, where I live now. And uh, a high school student wrote uh, an editorial for her school paper uh, saying that there should be period products in all the bathrooms. And one of the local 
town council women saw it and brought the idea to her to the town council. And the city of Brookline is, I believe, the first city or town in, in Massachusetts where period products are available for free in all of the high schools, in the libraries, and I think in the municipal buildings. So uh, I was so inspired by that, uh, the fact that this high school student had started, had, had made change, not just in her own school, not just donating something, but by putting it out there, having, uh, having somebody read it, you know, the word is powerful. Um, so she she really sort of changed the culture here, and uh, so I, I that actually was one of the reasons I wrote this book was this, this story that I read. Um, I, actually, I was invited by the people who made the movie. We'll talk about that later. But um, that story uh, gave me a lot of hope for the future. And I know we have another high school student here today. And the leadership for menstrual justice in the world is definitely uh, a young person's thing. It's um it's definitely coming from junior high school students, high school students, college students and on up. Thank you, Anita. Nikki, you're right. Sure, I will share. Aloha, everyone. Thank you so much. It is such an honor to share space um, with all of you in our virtual red tent. You know, I, I, I'm here as Nikki and Eve, also as my movement Hawaii and speaking you know, from my sisters, Brandy and Jamie. And it's, you know, when you ask that question, you know, what is our relationship with menstruation? It's quite interesting because, you know, for the three of us, we have def very different experiences. Um, part of it was, you know, our upbringing. Um, you know, we lost our mother when we were very young and at, very, at different ages, you know, Brandy was 17, I was 12 and Jamie was five. So if you think, you know, our our lives not only changed the trajectory, but also our relationship with menstruation and how it impacted our life. But, you know, what kind of led us down this road was, you know, an article that I had read about girls and women in Africa. And that was the first time that period poverty was identified for me. You know, as a mother, my daughter was nine at the time. I am a menstruator. I am, I am a woman. And I felt deeply impacted and deeply moved. And I think all of us kind of have this moment in our life where it just shakes us to our core. And that really drove the work. But, you know, when my sisters and I created Ma'i Movement and we kind of, you know, had this open talk story, you know, about, you know, what, what we dream for Ma'i Movement, I think that's also when we unearth a lot of our own feelings and you know whatever traumas and things that we had to unlearn um, and relearn but I think that has you know whether it was not having a mother there to guide us through formative years or you know feeling shamed and you know not being able to to get period products so I think you know that has really shaped who we are as my movement and so um, it has kind of you know, motivated us too, right, to bring that local narrative to our organization. I know, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of Anita's. I have followed the menstrual injustice movement internationally and nationally. So it is really exciting to bring all that mana'o to Hawaii um, and lead Hawaii and address menstrual equity for all of us. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Raya. Yes. Okay. So I think that's kind of why um, I got 
I felt such a connection when I first talked to Jamie. She's also a co-founder of the Ma'i movement. Um, I had shared with her, she had shared with me first and her um, openness made me want to open up a little bit more. And I had shared that um, I had also lost my mom at a young age. And I feel like not having that parental, you know, that guidance, it kind of shuts you off. Like nobody's really there, you know, prompting you, pushing you, supporting you, guiding you in all these things. And so initially I was like, it's just mm-hmm. something we don't talk about. It's just a stigma, a little thing. Like we don't really talk it's about it. But being like, that's exactly why we're here right now to break that stigma, to open up that conversation, you know, to provide uh, guidance for younger girls or menstruators alike, just to, um, and I feel like us being comfortable and open with it, it enables others to feel comfortable to talk about it. So that's exactly why I wanted to um, connect with Ma'i movement. Their entire goal was to break that entire stigma and to normalize periods because it's like, it's a bodily function. There should be no stigma with it. So um, I'm so blessed to be here to share and speak with you guys. Um, Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. I just wanted to add to that, that, you know, I am also in my age, I, I am, I think I've reached menopause, unfortunately, but I have a teenage daughter who has, extreme menstrual cramps that puts her in a dilapidated state every month and it, it pains me. And so I think that again, the lack of conversation around it of, of what we experience uh, is just something that's so untapped into that I wanted to bring in um, the both beautiful and painful spaces that, uh, that connect us. So um, on that note, I wanted to share the trailer of this beautiful film that was that won the Oscars in the short film category in 2020. Uh, again, this is what the Anita's book was named after, um, period, end of statement. Correct oh, me? Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it was 2019, actually. And, oh, okay, um, sorry. The, yeah. um, the, the creators of the film got in contact with me and asked if I would be interested in writing a book sort, sort of accompanying or inspired by the film. So that's that's how that happened, and that's so the cover of the book looks very much like the um, the the poster for the movie because it's the same. <laughs> so it's the same artist who did who did both both of those. So they're connected. We're connected. Excellent, excellent. So um, let's watch the trailer for those of you who have not seen it. It is still it's streaming on Netflix, I believe. So yeah. uh, it's about a twenty minute film. Um, powerful, gorgeous, important film. So let's see if I can. Share screen. I feel like I'm in class right now. Let's see. Okay. Sound? (laughs) Can you explain what is this? Okay, I'm good. 
Jesus. Okay. All right, so that's just a very brief little kind of teaser to the power of the film. Um, so maybe we can kick off the discussion around this. Um, I mean, obviously this was something um, in India, but this uh, is relevant to everyone worldwide in how uh, different forms of taboos and traditions kind of uh, create these, these stories that uh, are both horrific and comforting at the same time. Because on one hand, there's the, 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 the red tint, so to speak, of women getting together, uh, but they're shunned from society. They have to live away from uh, the community every time of the month, or some people not in the midst of not even being able to enter a kitchen, for example. There are just so many um, myths out there that uh, create these ongoing narratives that keep us uh, the shaming association with menstruation. So Anita, did you wanna kick it off perhaps by talking about your experience in working with this film and, and how, um, how we can start talking about this on, on a global scale where it's not just certain places that we think are uh, poverty stricken that have these issues. Um, I had nothing to do with the film. Um, that was this, this was produced by the Pad Project, which is uh, which started in a high school in California, by the way. And um, they are uh, in the the Pad Project, which is now a global organization, provides menstrual products. But also, the Pad Project gave a machine to this small village in India, which you really couldn't tell from the trailer. It's the yeah. story of bringing this pad machine um, that is very simple to use, doesn't use much electricity, so that the women in the community could make their own uh, disposable pads and then sell them, which would give them um, sort of micro business and independence and also sort of put them out in the world as well. So what you see in the film is, um, I think for me, the most shocking thing in the film is the lack of, uh, of understanding and knowledge about what menstruation is um, among, women and girls, as well as among, we saw the young men, you know, just had no idea. But, um, but again, women also didn't really understand the mechanics of it, um, were unfamiliar with the idea of using a pad. I mean, you saw a short, you saw a, a quick view of pads being uh, of, of cloth that had been disposed of, just thrown on the ground. So people would, women used cloth, uh, just rags, basically. So, um, so the film, one of the wonderful, exciting things about the film was that when it won the Academy Award, it was, you know, seen around the world. So the, the director ran up to the stage and she said, I can't believe a movie about menstruation just won an Oscar. And by saying, then all the women in the audience got up and went crazy. And I jumped off my couch. Um, but by saying that, uh, by being public about it, being that public about it, and the next day, millions and millions of people went to Netflix and watched it. They broke one of the taboos, which is one of the real big problems, which is that this is a secret um, and that it's not supposed to be talked about and that nobody would be interested in this. The buzz around Hollywood that this movie would never win this, this uh, Academy Award because most of the people who voted for it were old guys. And that was really, really unexpected win. But it, it, um, 
it was like letting light in a dark room in some ways, which is continuing. I mean, there's still way too many dark rooms. Um, and uh, and in the, even in the last five years, the amount of attention, public attention, media, um, activism, news reports about menstrual injustice and period uh, activism, it's, it just continues to snowball and grow. And so that, that's really an exciting thing. So I'm, and I'm proud to be part of that, part of the conversation, part of an excuse to start this conversation. And um, some days I feel very optimistic about this. And some days I'm furious about reading yet another story about, um, about somebody who's been hushed up. So uh, openness, talking about this, getting it out of the shadows, um, you know, calling something the curse, you know, and putting it in air quotes doesn't make that any better because if you have a curse, you are cursed. And since most menstruators are women and uh, even those who aren't identified as female are still stigmatized in the same way that women are stigmatized. This is very much about misogyny and patriarchy and fear of women and women's bodies. So which is of course ridiculous, as somebody just said, there is no life, there are no human beings. This is part of the cycle of life for human beings. So the fact that it's stigmatized is very, uh, it, it's distressing and it's caused tremendous you, pain. That's like something was like something was wrong. It's called something was wrong. Something was wrong. Something's wrong, right? You got There's nothing wrong, but we don't know. Actually, I really think very few people, very few of us know how it really works how um, the process of, of shedding blood once a month works and how you know, the whole system works and why it works the way it does. And, um, and that is part of the secrecy. And even if you've been given sex ed in school and someone's explained it to you when you were 12 or 11, uh, that's, that's, not, that's not enough. People have to be able to talk about this all the time. And there are lots and lots of family, in lots of families, Moms are really reluctant to talk about it with their daughters because their mothers didn't talk about it with them. And this goes way back, um, this kind of silence. And the cone of silence perpetuates shame. Thank you, thank you. And you know, forget sex education. I think we need to revolutionize that. And I think that is kind of working. It's progressing slowly, but everyone I know is just recognizing the lack of the material and we're still separating into different rooms yes. and how are boys going to understand the female body if they're not even allowed to understand it. So um, lots of work to be done. Yes, um, Nikki and Raya, do you have any comments on the film or just even the topic of just how um, that the menstrual poverty in a place like that and how it resonates with even today here? Um, yeah. Did you want to go first, Nikki? No, Ryan, I'll let you go first. Okay, perfect. Let me take up all the time. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to go off of what Anita shared about that curse, because when I first seen that, I was like, a curse, like I was kind of taken back by it because I'm like, menstruation is a bodily function. Like our bodies were made for like, that's what our bodies are made to do. So the like just the insinuation that it's a curse or that we're not allowed to talk about it. I was kind of taken back by it. I was like, our bodies, this is what our bodies do. There should be no stigma. And with everything that comes with the, the symptoms of menstruation, why should there be an added weight that we can't even talk about it? You know, like all the symptoms that come with, you know, the cramping and the, the headaches and the back, you know, like all of that. And in addition to um, everything that, you know, you can't even talk about it. And it's because I know in my, um, in my class, there's like, I think 
it's heavily populated at least like 15 girls and like three guys and still even yet the girls are whispering about it. I'm like it's okay let them hear like that's why um I think it's so the saying ignorance is bliss fits this um perfectly because if we don't really know what menstruation is we can definitely be taken back by it and definitely be like why are we talking about it but that's why it's so um it's so important to you know educate ourselves on what menstruation is and to, you know, let other girls know, hey, it's okay. Because even when I, um, when I refill the muddy spot that I had in my G building bathroom, like all these girls and menstruators alike would come up to me and they're like, thank you so much. And like every single day I would refill it, like girls would come up and I, I, w- I was literally one time almost brought to tears because this one girl had shared that this is where she gets her products for the month. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, I don't, that's why like, I'm so in support of dropping the tax and making them affordable, making them accessible. Um, Because with everything that comes with going through the cycle, we shouldn't worry about how we're going to get the products for it. And so everything, all the stigma, all the, the, the curse, everything else, it's all about supporting women, supporting menstruators, supporting each other. There shouldn't be any kind of blockage with that. Um, and so just having them thank me, like I was like, I, and I didn't even bother to say, you know, you're welcome because everything that I was doing, um, was all donations from the community. Like I wasn't a part of this, you know, I was just an extension, a hand of extension. And so I just, um, you know, every day I hope to, you know, inform someone else that, you know, periods are, it's a bodily function. Like if you do the research, like I, the only reason I knew like, I didn't even know what menstruation was until I went to health class. And that was literally like a couple months ago. And so me menstruating ever since sixth grade and not even knowing what it was, you know, I believe we need to let everybody know that it's okay. Like, this is what your body was made for. And so there shouldn't be a stigma. There shouldn't be anything negative around it. And if they do, you know, all we can hope to do is inform those who, you know, who think otherwise. So that's, that's basically just what I wanted to share. So thank before you. I take up all the time, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, thank you. Um, one, of the things, one of the things I've been talking to when I talked to people, when I was started writing this book, um, people said, what are you, what are you working on? Uh, the first few times men asked me that question, I kind of went, oh, I'm not sure you want to hear about this. And, and, but I got over that very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and the example I always use is, are you carrying toilet paper around with you? And no, you're not. Um, and why should women be carrying around tampons and pads with them all of the time? Because half of the population at some point in their lives needs these products. It's just, they're human beings and we know everybody needs toilet paper and half of the world needs period products. So they belong everywhere. And we're getting to that point. I mean, there, there are states in the country like Michigan, I think just passed a law uh, mandating putting period products in um, in all all the high schools, all the college public colleges, you know, and and state after state has been getting rid of the the tax on products. That's one thing, but making them available for free everywhere um, is really really important. And one of the things that anybody can do as a piece of activism is if you go into a restaurant or a hotel or your own synagogue or church, and there are no period products in the bathroom. You can go to the whoever manager and say, you know, we really need uh, period products in the bathroom, the way there's paper towels and there's toilet paper. And sometimes, amazingly, people just go, 
Of course. I just never thought of that. And, oh. um, and I, I think that was me too. I mean, when I realized what was going on, it was like, of course, yeah. how, how did we not see this? How did we not know this? That's a great, um, so, that's a great tip. Yeah. Thank you. Well, and I think there are kind of, you know, two issues that that's are, that's around this work, right? There is period poverty in the very sort of, you know, what people think it's completely, it's only related to socioeconomic, you know, like I can't afford products because the name period poverty, poverty, you know, money. But I think that term sometimes is misleading because there's other factors and we've all kind of spoken about it, right? Like lack of education, whether that's at home or in school, um, feelings of shame and stigma. I mean, a very basic, you know, and I say this is like systemic and institutionalized shame is like, you know, a lot of times we'll take our pad or our tampon and we hide it, right? We stick it in our pocket. We try to put it in our bra or shirt or try to be really inconspicuous when we go to the bathroom. You'd, you know, and that's just something that is very basic that we might not even think about it. And like, you know, I even had a, even I'm advocating for this. And I had a moment just like Anita where I was talking about, you know, I was explaining period products and how to use reusable products with, you know, it, to these other ladies. And there was a very important legislator next to me. And I said, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And, you know, he called me out on it and rightfully so, but there are so many things that have been ingrained in us. And it's just, how do we keep breaking, you know, these barriers down, these um, these feelings and the, you know, the, uh, the broader issue is just menstrual equity, right? That this is a basic need um, in the work that we do it's amazing in a horrifying way, almost, you know, the conversations that I have with menstruators and non-menstruators, you know, I get asked, well, why should we put it everywhere? You know, people are going to hoard them. There's a secondary market. They're going to sell it. Um, why can't their parents get it for themselves? Or if you forgot, that's your fault. Um, and, you know, even at the high school level, what breaks my heart is when I hear, you know, because students, they have to sign up for bathrooms, but if they need to go again, right, because they have to change their path, then they're being shamed even in, in class, you know, like, why are you going again, and then having to announce to everyone why they're going to the bathroom. So, you know, there's all these kind of layers, you know, that, you, you know, you always have to take a multi-pronged approach when addressing um, menstrual equity. But, you know, I, I will say I was, you know, again, because I learned about period poverty overseas. So, you know, I was really inspired, you know, when period end of sentence won the Oscars. And, you know, I when we started, I never thought, you know, in Hawaii, we would have this issue. But, you know, we grew up in Waimanalo on Hawaiian homelands. And, you know, it, it almost hits you, right? I, when you're growing up local, struggling, you know, struggling to make ends meet paycheck to paycheck, you think, oh, this is just how it should be. But that really isn't. And you, and I've come to realize, right, you have basic needs issues like food insecurity, rising housing in Hawaii. Um, and if we all know how that number increased in the pandemic, and you think if that many people now are, you know, applying for assistance, you know, going on Medicaid, all of that, 
these are the same people that are suffering in silence with period poverty. It's just, they don't know where to go and they don't have that resource. Um, so I think, you know, we're taking a big, bold step, just uh, like Anita said, talking about it. Yeah. I also want to just um, talk about uh, language and I prefer to talk about menstrual injustice okay. rather than equity. Um, because equity makes it sound like all we need to do is make sure everyone has products and then we'll all be fine. Um, but that's, it's a much bigger issue. Um, so menstrual justice, menstrual injustice is, um, is I think a much more accurate umbrella term for this, because when you think about equity, yeah, you think about people not having enough of something, but it's, that's, it's not just the products. Of course, we know that it's a lot more than than the products. So, um, so I just, yeah. it's one of my little hobby horses that I, that I like to bring up because, um, and, and I also think peer, and the lack of access to products is in every single zip code in the United States, mm -hmm. no matter where you are, there's somebody in your high school who can't afford or who forgot or whose mom couldn't, you know, didn't bring them to school or, or in a lot of cases, you know, there were only five left in the box and there are three girls at home and you have to wait until the next check comes in. And that's, it's unconscionable. And in a lot of schools, it's the nurses who buy them on their own. And it's not, it's not part of the school budget. The nurses are buying them. And why should the student need to go to the, need a pass to go to the nurse to get a pad for a natural function? So it's, uh, it's an ongoing discussion. And the more people bring it up, the more, I, I actually think that um, it, it comes as a surprise to, to, to people a lot. And if you're working in this, in this field, in this space, it feels like you've said this to everybody in the universe, but- But it's uh, not going anywhere. Thought about this yet. Yes. And I wanted to take it back a little bit uh, before we kind of move forward with this other clip about, you know, how it feels um, in school settings and that shaming and the embarrassment of dealing with that. But before that, I just wanted to go backwards to like the historical context, historical cultural context. You know, Anita, you were of Jewish descent and you read things about, um, you know, traditions within uh, the Jewish culture, but all of us have different influences from different cultures uh, and traditions in our backgrounds. And I'm wondering how much that could play into how we are recognizing and, and, and confronting these kind of um, ideas that the shame, you know, where, where does it come from? Is it rooted from something so deeply historical that we need to address that as well? Oh, for sure. I mean, these are very old. I mean, the ancient Greeks, um, you know, thought that if a menstruating woman went into a field, the wheat would, would wither and knives would get dull. Um, in in the church, in in the religious in Jewish tradition, um, and in uh, and there are there are rules and regulations about what menstruating women can and can't do in Islam and in certain parts of the Hindu universe as well. So it, it's it's built in and it's and it reflects a distrust and a disdain and a dislike of the female body um, and fear of blood. I mean that the fear of blood is kind of an ancient taboo also. Um, and there, here is there. There's this blood that doesn't kill, but it's it's sort of frightening because it's blood, just because it's blood. So it goes way, way back. Um, and I, I don't know that we can go back and root that out, you know, and, and uproot that. But we have what we have in the world today are the realities of people suffering because of lack of information, lack of health care, lack of access, lack of um, the freedom to learn. I mean, all of these things are, are, are what we have to, to deal with. Um, and um, 
I'm, I'm sure we're going to get to this later, but um, there's uh, real there's some places in the world where um, native and indigenous cultures are reclaiming traditions that were positive, that were actually celebratory, so that when a girl got her first period, the whole community knew, um, or certainly her family knew, and gifts were given, and and parties were held, and it was anything but a secret. It was in fact a cause for celebration. And that I think we can learn a lot from those other cultures yes. where it didn't used to be actually negative, but you know, with um, colonization and, and the racism that came with that, they were, you know, that was considered dirty or, or you know, primitive. So we have to get rid of that. So, you know, this is this is part of the, the discovery, rediscovery and reclaiming of native traditions that that are the absolute absolute opposite of what we think of as the whole global um, distaste for and, dis right. and disgust. You mentioned with. that in your book, um, several yeah. examples, and not just indigenous, but some very kind of um, you know different communities who just want to new, do a big party for their their daughters yeah. and celebrate yeah. over something with a theme of redness and the game. It's just so many beautiful stories. So I just wanted to remind people we already are having an active uh, conversation thread in the chat. Uh, thank you to Manisha and her comments. Uh, so please uh, share in the chat your experiences with these um, cultural kind of um, aspects in your life that might have informed you or maybe your experience with what you were taught not to do or things that you strongly believe that really should be eradicated. So this is the space for you. Nikki, did you want to add to uh, what Anita was saying? Yeah, I do because, you know, in Native Hawaiian, and we are seeing this in Hawaii now, um, you know, a call for, you know, revitalization of language, of culture. And Anita, you did touch on this in your book too, right? That um, it, it was very common, right? For any kind of European colonialism, um, and, and, you know, that's also very much tied to Christianity and their beliefs um, that anytime there was an occupation, there was this, you know, just complete uh, mission to erase whatever indigenous practices. Um, and with our own Native Hawaiian culture, it was, you know, even like our language. So, you know, unfortunately, uh, there isn't that much documented information around menstruation in Hawaii as like say Dr. Murphy of New Zealand um, who you know detailed and has a lot of information about Maori practices but you know again we are all of the same Polynesian community so there are um, there is definitely work that's happening in our community you know I know that there are um, other Native Hawaiian uh, uh, not uh, not professors like teachers, I should say, teachers and practitioners that are trying to kind of unearth what we did, you know, in Native Hawaiian culture. So, you know, I think we are definitely seeing that that movement here. Um, but it's absolute. And I and I was just looking through the chat as well, you know, yes, colonialism, patriarchy, and I do find it all tied to you can go back into the history of Hawaii, and look at when the first missionaries came to um, and so everything is connected, right? Uh, and with our history and what has happened. Right. But I, you know, uh, Dr. Murphy in, in New Zealand and also, um, I'm sorry that the, there's a, a, a Native American woman in California who's done a tremendous amount of work. They had to dig deep. They had to go into archives. They had to, and they had to look places where 
it, it took some imagination to realize, oh, this poem is really about menstruation. It's really not about the sunset. You know, you really have to, you have to um, clear out a whole lot of uh, presuppositions in your head that what you think things are about. Um, and, you know, finding, finding the, you know, the oldest storytellers in your community, what they remember about their childhoods, you know, that's, um, that's a, a, qu a quickly disappearing resource, but it's happening all over the world. And I think it's, you know, I look forward to the day when there can be like a global colloquium of people from different, from different communities to get together to share their histories and their practices together. Um, and, and they're all over the world, including, including Africa, including um, part of Pakistan, you know, it's not just, uh, it's not just Polynesian, you know, it's not just uh, oh, yeah. the Pacific, Pacific communities, um, but all through Canada, the native communities in Canada and, and certainly California native communities, they're, they're not, they're not just wanting to go to the past, but to be empowered and inspired by the past to bring into the future so that our daughters don't have to uh, reinvent this wheel that they have something to, to start with. That's really some, a, a point of pride. Mm, yeah. And, and I, I, sorry, I just want to add in too, because, um, you know, you brought up the, you know, in India, how women had to be secluded in native Hawaiian culture. There was also something called a halepea, so they did say that when women were on their menstruation, right, it was kapu. So they went into a halepea where they were able to rest, to, you know, um, take care of themselves. And so I thought that was also a very interesting, uh, interesting idea and some, you know, new learning, because again, we don't have halepeas anymore, not to say that you know, we shouldn't bring those back. I mean, who wouldn't like to have time to rest and reset during their menstruation? Um, but I will say that, you know, the Native Hawaiian culture was always uplifting. You know, I know, I know everybody has a different experience, but, you know, growing up, you know, we had a very positive relationship um, from our Native Hawaiian side of our family um, around ma'i and periods. Um, and, you know, there are other areas where Native Hawaiians uh, observe couple so even like when we dance hula and there is a big performance you know the week leading up to it we will couple we will not you know eat certain foods drink certain things as well to preserve the sacredness um, of our bodies thank you for bringing that in i also wanted to add a little context so when i went to hong kong and i was working in the film industry you know to the extent of superstitions you know so hong kong and asia many times are, are are quite superstitious with certain things so when it came to period it was really um a shock to me to find out that i wasn't allowed to sit on a camera case so women weren't allowed to sit on camera cases for the uh, possibility of you menstruating because that would cause bad luck to the set and therefore to you know the curse the film's success um so everybody comes from a place where the, the period shaming or the taboos or the historical context comes into play. And um, I think it's a good opportunity here for us to discuss these types of multicultural um, 
ways in which it, it, it does affect our bodies and our lives. So I wanted to kind of switch over to starting to talk about the shaming and bringing it into like this more contemporary space with high schools um, and, and how we deal with this both on a local and global scale. So I would love to share this clip of this short film that I found actually from Anita's book. Um, it is a very short film that was produced by this uh, NGO called Freedom for Girls uh, in the UK. Their mission um, for Freedom for Girls is to work to support those who menstruate by challenging the stigmas, taboos, and gender inequalities associated with menstruation. And they do this by providing education, period products, promoting product choice, and supporting environmentally, financially sustainable options. So this short film is called Dazed. It's directed by Libby Burke Wild. And again, it's produced by Freedom for Girls. So let's take a look at this short film. Oh, I love this. I'm sorry, love. You know, I've been working doubles, but we had the meet to meet topping up, and it's just a bit tight again this month. So, Chloe, 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 I'm making do as well. We'll sort something next month. I promise. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, very short but powerful film that addressed so many issues on so many levels. Um, I love that. I love that film. I love it for six things, but mostly I love it for making um, that young guy a hero, just by being a human being, just by seeing, knowing his sister, knowing the story. Um, and I, and I really, there's so few models for men and boys for yeah. how to behave in this situation. So her panic, her mother's embarrassment, her all of this, we know, um, and it's hard to watch. But to see a high school student step up and go, I'm not going to embarrass her and I'm not going to tell anyone else what's going on. I'm just going to help her and then sit back. So I, I thought this is really a beautiful, beautiful piece of education for, for boys and girls, for men and women, for everybody, for anybody who does or doesn't menstruate. Thank you. I, have, I I hadn't seen it for a while. It's really nice to see it again. It's really powerful. Yeah. Raya or Nikki, have any comments on this? Oh, I can just share. I've just been on the receiving end of this entire thing, and I love I love everything. Hearing everything in that video was so awesome, and I feel like there should be you know a little appreciation for our non bleeding allies who are you know supporting us, and it's all about not necessarily just women supporting women, but everybody supporting everybody. And so I just love, I love that, you know? Um, so boys, sometimes we think, you know, guys think that since it's not them, like it doesn't, you know, but I feel like they should too be granted the opportunity to educate themselves. And so making, you know, normalizing it and, you know, knowing that the women in their lives go through it um, as he shared his sister, like we're able to help everybody else and how, uh, you know, Anita said he was the hero by just being a human being. So I love that. And if anybody has these experiences who want to share, please add it to the chat. Um, you know, I, I don't know how many of you or how many times we've all had experiences where we've either bled and didn't have something to work with, the shame involved with that. I, I, had, a, I had a talk show and I got up my seat and my, my, my stool was all like red and these male crew, I, I guess I was mature enough at that point to say, okay, well, sorry. Somebody has to clean it up and, you know, you just don't make it a big deal, right? But the shaming involves with the way we are trained to perceive and treat it is just, you know, really something. So. Um, and this wonderful thing in the chat um, that somebody said about um, her mother asked about the quality of her periods. I interviewed a woman um, at the very beginning of 
working on this book before COVID shut everything down. It was actually in person who grew up in the Philippines. And this was true in her family. Her mother um, asked about the viscosity and saw it as a way of, um, it was about health. It was like, she, you, can you can learn something about someone's health by what their period looks like. And this mom who lives in suburban Boston, you know, when she had her kids, when her daughter had her period and her sons were at the dinner table, they talked about this and the sons rolled their eyes. But I'm sure that those young men grew up to be more thoughtful, oh. older, you know, grown men, because their mother and their sister were able to talk about it because it was part of their health situation. And, you know, one of the things that moves a little bit out of this is into the medical area is that I think menstruation is a is like a vital sign. And this is not just me, this is doctors, especially women gynecologists and obstetricians that, you know, blood pressure, um, you know, your heart rate, your oxygenation, how are your periods? How have they been? What's, is there anything you want to ask me about what's, what's happening? Um, that needs to be part of every physical exam for everybody who has a, who has a period. And we're a long way from that. Oh. Um, but that's, it's, it's just, it is part of health, as you've said so beautifully. Um, and that, so our, our healthcare providers also need to see that as a sign of health and just to check in and say, any questions, a lot of pain, no pain, things have changed just as you would with anything else. And um, again, that's a long way from happening, but the more, again, I have to say the more women who not just are becoming doctors, but are teaching doctors and who are red, running medical schools, um, the more that happens, the more likely it is that when you go see your doctor at some point, they will ask you um, about your menstrual health. Yeah. I mean, from, from a Chinese perspective, they're the Chinese medicine, they would ask those questions. So right. again, it's culturally kind of um, differentiating and, and asking the, 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 the uncomfortable questions of like, how is it clotting? What color is it? You know, down to the dirty, the dirty details is what you're saying. Um, yeah, Nikki. And I also just wanted to add on to that, right? Not only menstruation is, um, you know, an indicator of overall physical health, but also I think one that's not talked about is mental health. Um, someone recently reached out to me and, you know, she suffered from premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And, she, you know, around the time of her period, she would have extreme thoughts of suicide, um, you know, rage, you know, just a range of emotions. And, you know, people, you know, she was obviously, there's so much stigma around mental health itself. And it took her, you know, 20 years to finally get diagnosed because they just thought she was crazy. And, you know, it's, it's beyond me why we separate menstrual health from physical and mental. It should just be looked at um, as a whole. And interestingly enough, in the opening remarks of our legislative session, um, the legislator actually from your district, Raya, uh, Senator Favela, he stood up in front of everyone, you know, all the senators and talked about how his mother suffered from mental health issues when she was going through menopause. Um, and that it's time we start talking about it and time we start addressing um, mental health and menstruation. So I thought that was very powerful. And Raya totally spoke to your um, honoring of non-menstruating allies. So I also want to talk about physical health and that um, that the lack of attention paid to women's pain, especially women of color's pain. Um, and, you know, you just take another couple of Advil as opposed to talking about serious pain that continues 
Um, the lack of uh, diagnosing of endometriosis, which can be really a serious condition, but can go on for years and years without treatment because it's like, oh, well, you have, you have cramps and it gets dismissed. Um, and, you know, and it goes from um, that kind of dysphoria that you were talking about to, um, to, to conditions that can then can lead to losing, you know, losing part of your body needing surgery. So, you know, advocating for ourselves is hard for a lot of women in particular, when you go to the doctor and you feel vulnerable. Um, but this again is something we need to talk to our kids about, um, about advocating for yourself. When you go to the doctor, don't just tell me, Oh, take a couple of Advil. It'll be fine. Use a heating pad. Not if it's hurt, not if you have to stay in bed for a day, you know, it, then something is wrong. Somebody has to listen to you. Not if you're so you think about suicide, you're in so much discomfort. Yeah. We have, we have to, we have to, it's hard. And I think it's particularly hard for women who yeah. don't like to make waves, who don't want to. And there's so many different um, ideas of how to treat it. Cause you know, Advil is something that suppresses. And then some people believe that you don't suppress it. You do things, you work through certain medicinal herbs and all these things, but that's another conversation. What I wanted to bring to the table was the role of media uh, and the increasing positive representation, or at least shifting the narrative to kind of normalize uh, period spaces in uh, popular streaming platforms. My favorite I would like to just bring attention to is I May Destroy You. It's a UK uh, mm -hmm. production, but there's a brilliant scene where this the main character is supposed to have sex with her Italian boyfriend and she has a period and she stops him and she says, wait, I have to pull out my tampon first. And then he gets into like, whoa, what is this? Because she had like a blood clot that came onto the bed and he was curious about it. So what, who, who writes things like that? So now it's kind of like- a <laughs> She wrote it. Yeah. So <laughs> the actress you know, wrote it. Um, that was what that was her. Exactly. That's what I'm totally Chemical. knocked out by the amount of period um, content on on, um, Absolutely. on television, network television and uh, and and everywhere else. And um, and, I, and I write in the book about also about humor and how mm -hmm. women take power over these um, taboos and shame by just making fun out of things that right. shouldn't, you know, that are normal. Yeah. Um, and S Saturday Night Live actually has years worth of um, period com mock commercials that they've done. Um, some of them funny, some of them not so funny as usual, but uh, there, and, and the more women who are writing for television um, mm -hmm. and who are starring in their own shows and representing menstruation as just part of life, this is mm -hmm. what happens. Um, it's a big deal because in the until not so long ago, if anybody ever mentioned a period, it was oh my god, I got my period. Thank goodness I'm not pregnant. Or um, oh my god, I got my my period. Uh, I'm so sad that I didn't get my that I'm not pregnant. So those were really the only times uh, that it was that it was talked about. Um, and now it's just part of life. And it sometimes it's an opportunity for education. Sometimes it's an opportunity to laugh. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and so we we're in the middle of that kind of change, but it's, exactly. it, I re it's really about representation. It's who's writing, who's producing, who's directing, and who's starring in these things. So um, it's totally clear. This would not be happening without women behind the camera and women writing. So, yeah. Thank you. So we're up to the hour and I wanted to leave um, some time for people to ask questions or engage in conversation with us. But before we do that, um, Nikki, I wanted to give you space to kind of 
give us the updates on what my movement's been doing and what's been shifting and some important stats that you would like to share with us? Um, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of things that my movement is doing in terms of, you know, education services, but, um, you know, I think in the interest of time, my, the greatest and probably biggest um, ask today I would put for all of you is um, to support our legislative work right now we have a bill to make period products free in all public and charter schools. Um, you know we work it's the third year the bill is being introduced we worked hard to make sure that elementary was included, um, because the report, which was the first government report we did with the Hawaii State Commission on the status of women identified that you know 30% of nearly 30% of um, men's or respondents to the survey got their periods in elementary. So that was a really big push for us. Um, so far, things have been going really well. The bill, the bill passed out of Senate, it crossed over to House, which is a huge achievement because most bills die by this point. Um, so we are gonna be having hearings next week in the House Education Committee. Actually, right before this call, I had a little heart attack because there's a minor complication. Um, but if anybody you know, is interested in you know, providing testimony, Raya has submitted testimony every single time we've had a hearing. And at the beginning we had multiple bills and she was always there. Um, the great thing, uh, you know, on one hand, the Capitol is open. So if you wanna go in person, um, to testify orally, you can as well, um, but they're also allowing it to be hybrid. And Raya took time out of her uh, school day too, and she also showed up on Zoom testimony, um, you know, to share her thoughts. So anybody can do it. Anybody can get engaged. We have a lot of resources. Um, I will drop that in the chat. And I think there's also just one last PSA. I want to step back, and this is really important to me, you know, uh, when we were talking about health, um, another thing I want to highlight too is, you know, especially being Native Hawaiian or, you know, just a Pacific Islander um, ethnicity, you know, and this is stories that, you know, I can even speak for my sister Brandy, right? She, she only recently got diagnosed with PCOS. And, you know, since puberty, she's been gaining weight, um, you know, feeling tired, uh, and she didn't present with the normal um, symptoms of PCOS, but all her life she was told just, oh, you're fat, you can't lose weight. And these are, you know, a lot of stigmas and stereotypes that are attached to Native Hawaiians, right, that we are heavier set. And, you know, just looking at someone and saying, okay, well, you're heavier set, you're Native Hawaiian, and not really digging deeper, I think also was a reason that she didn't you know, she wasn't um, diagnosed with PCOS. And I was speaking to a doctor on Kauai, and, you know, he serves the island of Ni'ihau. There was a woman, again, she was Momona, you know, overweight, which is, you know, which happens with Native Hawaiians. And, you know, she bled um, a lot. But again, that stigma of, well, you're supposed to bleed, right? And not really raising the issue. Um, and she died at the age of 29. She didn't get, she didn't seek help in time. So, you know, I really just want to raise that up. Um, I will say that story personally impacted me too, because I started bleeding very heavily and old me would have just sucked it up and dealt with it. But, you know, I said, I need to see what's wrong. And 
I, you know, I did identify the issue, had surgery, got help, and thankfully I'm fine. But um, I want to bring that to all of your attention, right? That um, please, you know, if this is the first date, I, I can see we have a lot of strong advocates. So, you know, I can see the chat is blowing up and maybe I'm preaching to the choir, um, but always, you can always be a better advocate for yourself. Thank you. Raya, did you want to add anything before we open it up to question and answers? Nope, I'm just, I'm just loving everything that everybody's saying. So I'm just, yes, I'm good. Did you want to add something about your experience in, uh, in your school uh, with maybe some fellow students who you've seen who might have had some issues with dealing with it or no one to talk to you about it or circumstances? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. There's been, um, so like we do this little thing. I'm sure all the girls know about it. We stand and we ask our friends, can you check me? Like, but we say it very quietly, like, can you check me? And then none of the guys know what it's about, but we all know, you know what I'm saying? We all know. And so it's just, and so there was this time where this girl, like I checked her and I was like, hey, so, you know, I told her, you know, very briefly, quietly, uh, you know, you leak you. And she immediately, she just like broke down and she left, like she left school. And she had shared that, you know, um, she um, didn't have anything and she just wanted to go home and she knew she didn't have anything at home, but she just didn't want to be at school where she could get shamed for it. And because um, I texted her later that, you know, that day to see if she was OK, because I hadn't seen her around after. And um, I just think like and ever since um, she's the first person who came up to me when I put in the Ma'i spot uh, at G building, she's like, oh, thank you so much. And she didn't need to share any economic story, background, none of that for me to understand that there was such a great need for free period products for the girls at our school, especially the, um, as Hawaii being the most expensive state in the United States, high cost of living, low wages. Um, I feel like there shouldn't be, we shouldn't have to explain why we need free, you know, affordable, uh, pads, you know, affordable period products. And so um, there are multiple people who have come up to me and thanked me. And it's just like, like having their gratitude, them showing their gratitude, like opened my eyes to how much of a need there is. And, you know, sometimes people are like, well, you know, with, um, since we're a public school, we only get our funding from the state. And I was like, yes, but they have the money, they allot certain um, amounts of money to different things. Why can't they allot it to providing period products? You know what I'm saying? And so all for advocating, if you guys can support this bill, do it. And I believe we all can. You don't have to uh, verbally testify. You can send it in written. And I believe we all have a testimony to share, right? Um, so anything that you can share. I know for me personally, I just want to share really quickly. Um, um, when I was younger, uh, my dad was living on the streets and um, thankfully, you know, after my mom had passed away, my auntie and my uncle, they took me in. Um, but if they hadn't, I'd seen my dad in struggle with, a, you know, just a few dollars just to make it by. And I was so thankful for my auntie and my uncle and their jobs, because if I was living with him, how would he be able to, to decide, you know, should I should I pay for food today or should I buy Raya, you know, her period products, you know, and it. it it shouldn't really be that kind of decision. We shouldn't have to choose whether or not we're going to eat, whether or not we're going to pay for these necessities against these necessities. You know, so if you guys want to support this bill, please do. I believe we all do. 
um, that's all I have to share because I can literally take up another half hour, but <laughs> that's <laughs> natural born speaker. I am. And I also wanted to just move on that and remind people that at UH, we are still continuing our um, supply drive until the end of the month. So if you happen to walk by Hamilton, you'll see a nice big box in front. Uh, there's one in the uh, Rihanna, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the women's bathroom, um, the dance building. Is that right? Um, it's not room but it should be out in the studio the dance studio and then the ocean science building um i believe it's post and then yeah and if anybody else wants to offer a box somewhere in your own department please reach out to rihanna we'd love to kind of extend this and we need to kind of grow and move forward with this does anybody want to share anything in the short period of time left comments or short questions from our audience I'm just reading the comments. They're great. And somebody said I should put this part of uh, in PTA meetings um, so that that to bring this this up. I think that's that's a brilliant idea. And it it gives you a platform to to reach people who hadn't thought about this before. It's like not that they're they're evil folks out there. A lot of people just ne it never occurred to them. The other thing about school stuff is that if you are going to school and you don't have enough, even if you have one pad, you're gonna be distracted all day. So it really impacts how you do in school or if you try out for a play or if you go out for sports, because if you're, if you're afraid that you're gonna bleed through, you're not gonna do those things. And if you have a test and you're worried about bleeding through, you're, it, it just, um, it's a hand, it's sort of a hidden handicap that just comes with having a period, which is um, again, this whole thing about menstrual injustice, that why should this, um, be a handicap. It's not a handicap. Uh, even there are, there's pain and there, there are things that need to be taken care of. And some people need to take a day off, but it's not a handicap. It just goes with being human in this body. So uh, we have to take care of each other. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else want to share? Yeah. Um, can I say something? Yes, please. Yeah, I've been raising my hand. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Shah. I thought you had an accident. Okay, yes. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, I'm the one who wrote that thing about the PTA because I know that um, just by looking or watching the videos, short videos, is that it's very important that we also um, bring that issue to the parents because they play most of the roles in terms of responsibilities to their kids, especially the high school levels. Um, I would say college students are kind of like, you know, they're already educated and, but then again, still it's kind of like still a reminder for them, for those that cannot afford still, even though they're in college. But as a, you know, uh, as part of the PTA meeting, I would success that because um, so that, you know, like what happened to the girl, you know, the, the mom couldn't afford anything. So it's, it's really a matter of prioritizing how the parents, because I know that uh, a lot of poverty is around, but if, if it comes to the, you know, like what the, I forgot the girl's name was talking, but uh, she was mentioning that, you know, we shouldn't really be choosing which one of the two that you need to prioritize. So I'm um, just relating to that and all of the, and then I would also like to kind of relate back a little bit to the stigmatized uh, it is, um, I think it's, you know, if we can also kind of mention in our talks that um, it's also part of the diversity on, because in the past, yeah, we never had those. And 
there were really lacks of uh, communication or lacks of education and everything else. Uh, but then today, as it is uh, diverted to where we're at today and we have a little bit better uh, or more access to things, um, it's just a matter of also um, bringing it out there to the public and other people to really uh, put this as, as part of our education. So I believe in education as a public health major, I say that, you know, to put out more education out there everywhere, wherever, as a part of the um, diversity that we're looking into. I mean, same goes for all other issues like we're facing today, yeah. such as uh, climate change, whatever. But it's the same idea, um, just to put out everything. And so mainly the education is what I'm looking at. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, Sean. So in our final couple of minutes, um, maybe we allow the panelists to kind of give the final word on anything we want to leave with our listeners today. I just want to thank you for the opportunity to join you oh. and imagine myself in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, I've never been, I hope to go someday. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, it's a very complicated issue. It's it, it really, writing this book taught me what intersectionality really means, that, men, that menstruation is, is such an intersectional issue. It has to do with climate. It has to do with poverty. It has to do with race. It has to do with incarceration, with refugees, with homelessness. Um, all of these issues, you know, climate and poverty, you wouldn't think necessarily, or climate and, and incarceration, you wouldn't think necessarily have to do with this, but they all, they all come together. And, um, and as somebody who has, and for, for people who do menstruate, this, we feel this in our bodies, I think, that, um, that, that I think somebody said earlier, when you hear one of these stories, you feel it. When you hear about a girl running home from school because she was shamed at school, I, I, people identify with that. If you've had any kind of embarrassment around your period, you feel it really deep inside. And, um, you know, and I think, you know, this is a great, it's a wonderful colloquium. It's great that you have people working on legislature, bringing products into schools. You have a high school leader. I hope to see you running for Congress, Senate, Absolutely. maybe, you know, even higher, you know, you're definitely, um, I think these leaders, I think young leaders are going to, I hope will will learn from their activism and their success that they can change the world. So, um, and this is part of it. So I'm all best to all of you at the, at the university and uh, and I wish you all the best of luck in your in your state house. I think the Massachusetts state house has uh, considered the current bill before them three or four times too. It takes a while, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We all have yeah. to chip in. Thank you yeah. so much, Anita. You're welcome. Um, yeah. and, and Nikki, to, to have the final words on, if somebody asked what resources we can look into educating ourselves, perhaps you wanted to add your the Ma'i movement um, information in the chat and uh, that we all need to kind of really do look do our due diligence. And there are may, probably many resources uh, but uh, Nikki, how would you like to end? Um, I just want to mahalo everybody for you know spending spending uh, this hour and a little bit with all of us, allowing us to you know not only talk about menstrual injustice um, across the world, but also what's happening locally. Um, I know we've thrown out some really big. Um, sort of how you move, how you shift, um, how we, you know, cause change. But I think 
you know, every, I get this asked a lot, right? Like what, what, what can we do? What can we do? And sometimes we think the really big things, but it's even just the small things, not hiding your period products. Um, I love that. I think it was Yuka who says she talks to her son, her three-year-old son, mm-hmm. you know, just having these open um, conversations. Again, you guys are already taking big steps, right? Having donation boxes all across the campus. Um, so I think when we make things just out, you know, and in the open, you know, they throw condoms everywhere. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's no, <laughs> there's no issues with that. Um, and so I think step by step, if we change ourselves, we change the people are around us in our own ohana and our circles, then and period politics in Hawaii, we will get confident. Especially when I have people like Raya, you know, in our corner, I am incredibly hopeful. So I'm going to give it to her because I think she's going to bring her mana and close it out. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. Um, This has been a really special gathering. Thank you for entering our virtual red tent. Let's be all part of the movement and moving this forward and normalizing this very natural beautiful thing that we were gifted with. Thank you so much for attending our colloquium today.